Have you ever felt the pull or tug that there's more to life? Something left unseen and where more awaits you. Welcome to the House of Minds, a podcast experience where we dive into the depths with the potential to discover keys to unlock and expand your mind into new realities and possibilities for you and your life. All you must bring is a desire to learn, an open mind, and the trust that the universe is always working for you. What will the House of Minds bring you today? Welcome, everybody. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of House of Minds. My name is Christina. I'm the podcast host. And today we'll be following Ricky Jablonski's. Did I pronounce it right, Ricky? You did. did. Okay. Ricky Jablonski's journey um, with throughout his life. And for a little bit of background, I met Ricky through one of the studios that I teach at. And was immediately, I've always been inspired by his story and just where he is at in life based on the information that he shared with me from where he started, his battles with addictions, his uh, childhood upbringing that also kind of stemmed around uh, different addictions. And he's definitely come a long way. So I always love to see that. And I always love to also talk to um, people with similar challenges and upbringings, because those challenges are there to develop us into who we are now. And they can either make us stronger or they can make us weaker. And Ricky's someone where those challenges he's really overcome and worked through a lot of them. And it's brought him to where he is today. So thank you so much for being on the show, Ricky. And I'm really looking forward to it. Of course, my pleasure. Thank you. All right. So let's dive right in. Um, and would you please just start by sharing as much as you feel comfortable sharing about your childhood and your teen years? For sure. Uh, so I grew up uh, in my early years before one, you know, zero to seven years of age um, with both of my parents in active addiction. Um, at seven, they did both get sober. Um, so I kind of have some memories pre seven. Um, you know, they're not good. Like they weren't happy memories. Right. And that's not saying that I had a bad childhood. That's just saying that, you know, my parents were both in active addiction, you know, pre seven, but, you know, I jokingly said to my wife the other day, we were talking about first childhood memories and I don't remember which one came first, but one was my father throwing Christmas tree fully decorated on the front lawn out the front door. And then my mom, at one point, I remember her throwing a plate at my dad. I mean, I know they were separate incidences, but, Mm -hmm. you know, thankfully, I think the subconscious does a good deal of blocking out memories that, you know, we don't necessarily need to relive. So I think that I've gotten enough from pre seven to understand why active addiction like that is not a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. It left an imprint on you. Now you said you do. um, And first of all, I'd like to express empathy, of course, for, for your experiences and, you know, our parents aren't perfect. No parents are perfect. We're all perfectly imperfect. And as much as they love us, sometimes that still does lead to, to scarring, emotional scarring, um, the choices that they make. So while, of course, they're always doing the best they can, it does still still cause pain and we still want to honor that. Do you, you said you remember some of those memories. 
when you remember them, do you feel like you have any emotions attached to them or is it just more like a black and white, this happened? Uh, you know, I think early on in my life, of course, you know, if it's not one thing, it's the mother, you, you, you tend to always blame your parents. Yeah. Um, but I really let that go over the years. Um, you know, as far as like memories back then, you know, my parents did the best they can do. I had a good childhood. It's just when they were in addiction, like anything, when you're in active addiction, it's, they're not really concerned about of anything other than using whatever that is, whether it's drugs or alcohol, in their case, it was alcohol by that point, but not to take their inventory, of course, but. Yeah. And well, I mean, you're not really in reality as well when you're, you're in a full-blown addiction. So you're not, there's a part of you that's not completely conscious of the, the pain that you could be inflicting. And you said, so at seven, they, that's when they started to seek treatment and counseling. Correct. Uh, My father went to treatment. uh, I want to say my mom didn't go to treatment. My dad did, Uh, you know, both took a little bit of time, a couple months, but uh, they both stopped drinking. Um, They weren't into drugs, you know, at that point in their life, it was pretty much just booze. Um, And then yeah, from there on, they've been actually sober since. Okay. Okay. Amazing. So, Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a good thing and it's, it's, you know, long-term I actually am, 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 I'm okay with the fact that I'm a, I'm an alcoholic and a, and a drug addict in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways it, it, it brought me to my lowest of lows, but in this yeah. over talking through the, through us right now over this podcast, you'll see where it brought me the best gifts that I've ever gotten as well. So, yeah, you know, like I said, at 43, I look at my childhood and I'm like, oh, it's a blessing, right? But when I'm 13 and you only have like a limited amount of time on the planet, you just, you know, constantly pick at it and blame it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, that's, that's wisdom growing wiser. And it sounds like you're at a good place because it goes back to the duality, right? You can't have this without the other side of the coin and then being able to recognize, and then it becomes more of a conscious choice of, well, this is how I want, want to live. And this is where I want to lead my life, but you can't have that without having seen the other parts sometimes, unless you did have a perfect childhood and every, and even then, I mean, no one has a perfect childhood, but it, it sounds like you've really made peace with the fact just that now you're able to look back and not hold any blame or resentment against your parents. And, and we'll eventually get to this point too. And I don't want to get too far ahead, but sure. do you, I know that you share that you've done counseling as well. And do you feel like that was a big part of what they worked on with you? Um, or was it more of a, like a factor that happened after other things that they worked on? Or both? Uh, I think it was, it was pretty much after, by the time I like sought out counseling, I've already gone through my own 12 step journey at that point. Right. Like I've, you know, I was probably 10 years sober when I first started going to therapy uh, outside of 12 steps. Right. Okay. Um, And then that's where they revealed they're like, Oh, you cause chaos because that's the environment you grew up in and you feel most comfortable. So I think that that's really, you know, kind of in stages uh, as far as my journey, but that was definitely why I, I kind of sought out therapy. It, it wasn't so much like, you know, what your parents said to you and that kind of stuff. I mean, I mean, by the time I was, you know, thirties when I was going to therapy. So, I mean, I'm an adult at that point for the most part. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it sounds like it was more the recognition of there's patterns here and I'm having yes. trouble overcoming these patterns and maybe I need to seek help with those patterns. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. So take me back a little bit more. Did your parents put you into any type of um, therapy or counseling at the age of seven, or was it just more strictly them? So I did do a, I want to say it was like six days of inpatient um, treatment with my father. um, Because obviously, you know, they got sober, but I'm still used to, you know, them fighting and me crying on the steps saying it's my fault kind of, kind of mentality. And that's not the case. And, and that's again, not blaming them, of course. Yeah. Uh, so I did do, but as, uh, as children, you know, we I, think, I think it was six days. Correct. For sure. As adults, as never mind children, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I did do uh inpatient for, I think it was six or seven days. And then I did uh, attend, you know, Alateen and Al-Anon meetings. Okay. Uh, initially uh, that, that didn't last very long. Um, not for any other reason it, it didn't last. And I think, you know, I'm, 43. So you're talking 35 years ago, you know, it's, it's not like mental health was at the forefront of everyone's conversation, right? It was like, well, his parents yeah. stopped drinking. It's, you know, it's good enough, right? Like, yeah. And, and maybe, sorry, go ahead. You can finish. No, I was going to say, and maybe, you know, at the time, 35 years ago, good enough was good enough. Yes. And I, I love those points because you bring up very adequate points and times have changed a lot and there is a lot more information readily available. And it's something more that's encouraged to be talked about. There's a lot less shaming around it or that there's something wrong with you. If you have to go to counseling where back, Mm -hmm. uh, 20, 30 years ago, it was more like that stuff type of stuff was swept under the rug and not talked about. Um, And it's beautiful because as the awareness and the information grows and changes, and we're more informed with this, not only does that help, here's the beauty of it. It helps the person that's also struggling, but it also helps the people around them know how to better interact with that person. So as we take away the shaming of it all, you're allowing the person to, to accept. And we know that the stages of grieving, the first um, step is acceptance or maybe no, maybe it's denial, but regardless, you have to get, you have to accept it to actually be able to move on and forward. So the more yes. that we as society can accept that these types of things happen and then focus on the solution then that's where more of the the solutions are going to come through and where you can then re-nurture everything instead of staying in that, in the shame or the denial of it. So it's a beautiful thing. Sorry. I kind of went on a tangent on that. (laughs) Um, No, that's good. That's good. That's what this is. I'll be upset if we don't go two hours. Exactly. (laughs) I know I have a feeling we'll, we'll get there. Um, and it'll, it's beautiful. Yeah, if this isn't be... a three-parter, I'm going to feel like I didn't do my job. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure to either of us. <laughs> um, now with the therapy, did you go, you said you went with your father. So was it like interactive therapy? Did you both do things together or was it? Yeah. From separate? what I remember, it's, you know, it's so long ago. It, it, it was good at the time for sure, but it was definitely like, it was um, a lot of basically people uh it wasn't therapy for 
um, addicts. It was a therapy for people involved with addicts, right? That maybe didn't have a problem with drinking or drugs, but their spouse did or like their brother Al-Anon. did or whoever it did. And they're trying to go to, to understand it, right? And to mm-hmm. kind of like an al based thing, you know, and not even understand it rather, excuse me, but more accept it, right? Because I, I don't understand my parents, their journey or their addiction, but I've accepted it. Yes. Good point. Good point. And especially at such a such a young, young age too, to, to be exposed to that. So you went mm-hmm. to the therapy, you did it side by side. Do you have any like lasting impressions from that, that the therapy you did at that age? Uh, you know, honestly, the, 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 probably my biggest takeaway that it was just fun to see my father for six days, like, okay. yeah, you know, six days, not that they, not that my parents were absentee management, but all they did was work because yeah. that's all they knew. You know, my father grew up really poor and he, I think they were always afraid to lose whatever it is they got. So all they did was work. Scarcity. Mindset. Um, yeah. You know, for better or for worse. And I think that was part of their, especially post them getting sober, they really worked six and seven days a week. And I think it was just because that's what kept them sober too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You re- It's kind of in a sense that you replace one addiction for for another almost. And, but what's the worst of the evils? Um, especially if your new addiction is something that can be healthy and beneficial. Um, now you did say that it sounds like, like going back to your words, you had used the words that during the therapy, you were able to accept it. So it sounds like there might have been some almost separation of this isn't my fault this is my parents and their shit. Do you, do you feel like that's an accurate statement where it might've helped you start to form that viewpoint of this isn't mine, this is theirs and kind of separate yourself from it. I think so to a point, I think that also part of the reason why I started using, you know, alcohol in the first place, I think was one of the reasons it wasn't because I wasn't my parents. Cause you, I'm sorry, you weren't your parents. Correct. So that was one of the, you know, well, I don't have a problem. I'm not going to have a problem with alcohol. That's on them. That's, that has nothing to do with me. Okay. So talk, talk to me a little bit more about that and that evolution. Um, and when that started like from seven to 13, do you, do you feel like those were kind of golden years? Did you see less issues? How did you develop post once they became sober? Boy, that's, that's a good one. Uh, you know, seven to seven to really high school, end of high school, uh, just huge, huge internalized self-esteem issues. Okay. Huge. Um, I'm less than issues. Uh, I'm not good enough. I, I don't have uh, my friends didn't accept me now, whether they're not, they did or they did it. And more times than not, they did. That still has nothing to do with how I thought, how my brain works. Yeah. Um, Especially in high school, especially it was, it was always less than it was, you know, never good enough and, you know, huge, um, ego, um, humor, everything was a joke. Everything's still a joke, but now it's a little bit different. I mean, you know me, so I'm always, I don't take anything serious, but I think then it was, I'm not taking serious and I'm going to mask, you know, whatever I'm really feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Almost when it's almost the, like people often will go to sarcasm instead of stating that they're actually in pain. 
Yep. So sarcasm can be like a witty way of um, downgrading your pain to not not address it. Um, so it almost sounds a little bit like that. Do you have you um, are these like things that you've worked on in counseling and therapy? These fundamental issues. Uh, and myself, you know, through, through the 12 steps, especially when I first got sober, uh, you know, I was a daily meeting guy. Um, you know, the, the, the joke was when you first get sober that you're not supposed to see other sexes. Like, so me, for me, it was no more, no women. And it's supposed to be for a year. That's kind of the, the rule. But my sponsor at the time said, for me, it's three years. Okay. Cause I needed to work on myself. I mean, it's a twofold thing, right? It's to see if someone could actually take direction. But it's also for me to work on myself. Yes. Right. Because when I got sober, I was 21. Right? I went to college, got so, you know, got drunk, got sober. So I was so young and probably at the emotional maturity of a 13 year old in a 21 year old's body. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I started really working on my self esteem and, and, and all the issues that surrounded that. Okay. And those were things, so you didn't do anything or seek any help for it when, as a teen? No, Okay. no. Um, I'm sure my parents offered, you know, if I wanted to do things or or go to certain things, I honestly don't remember, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think, like I said, at that point, like once my parents got sober, I pretty much, you know, it was a normal childhood, Yeah. you know, but again, you know, all they did was work, not a knock on them, but they didn't know any better. And so I know we've talked about this before because you told me that you were kind of more of like a latchkey kid. Um, Mm -hmm. So when you say normal, I would say that's in the sense of your parents provided like a house, a fridge full of food. Um, You're, you had your AC and your heater. Yeah. So you had the materialistic things that you need. However, children also need attention and presence from parents and guide guiding and direction. And sometimes when they're absent, those other fundamental needs can be missing, even if we have the other things. And also like, here's where it goes into our parents are all perfectly imperfect and they're not always going to understand us as children. So sometimes they might not understand or they don't understand our needs because we'll, as children, we'll, we'll have other ways of trying to get those needs met. And that could be through negative attention and or through back, back talking or passive aggressiveness. But mm-hmm. if parents aren't aware of this, this information, they don't know that that's a cry for help. Do you feel like you maybe had some of those behaviors throughout your teen years? Um, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure my mom always treated me like an adult. Like she spoke to me like an adult, like, you know, that, that vipish cutting humor um, to a child that like I was an adult, which is fine. Cause I don't, now I don't have any regrets. Like I love it now. Cause I'm, cause I can hold a conversation and I'm quick, but the, you know, the, how I got there was probably not the most healthiest either, but yeah. Yeah. But now you can appreciate it on the other side of all of it. And so I want to get more into that and kind of what, how the therapy, the steps that it helped you with the self-esteem issues. Cause I think that's a huge one 
especially for, for teens, because the teen years are so hard. You already have a lot of other pressures, the social pressures, the hormones that are starting to rage, the who am I, what's my identity. Um, And then on top of that, if we're not having kind of those fundamental times with other role models in our life, there's a lot that can be missed and lead to the self-esteem. So I definitely want to get into that, but talk me a little bit more through um, as far as leading up high school, college, and kind of how you developed your alcoholism and then how you realized, oh shit, I have a problem. You know, I was heavier as a kid. Um, uh, That's right. Once my parents got sober. Yeah. I showed you. Yeah. Yeah. I was a big boy. Once um, my parents got sober, uh, I think there was huge guilt on their part. Uh, I know there was, I don't think there was, I know, you know, we've, I've talked about it, uh, especially with my mom. Um, uh, They had huge guilt, you know? So when they got sober, they bought me whatever I could think of, they would buy me, right? Whatever I wanted to eat, they would just let me eat because they just were so guilty. They never wanted to say no at that point. Um, So I think that that kind of behavior where to me, it was always just like, oh, just do what I want, do what I want, do what I want. Um, Not to say that I wasn't respectful or anything like that, but it's just, you know, it's just how I wanted to do it. If I wanted something, I would just get it. Or, you know, if I wanted to eat a bag of cookies, I would just get it. And that kind of behavior, I think, snowballed. Um, you know, high school was fine. I went to, a, I grew up in a smaller town. It was a smaller high school. I liked it. I had friends. I, you know, it struggled self-esteem issues. I'm sure like any high schooler the entire time in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't know what to say to girls. I, I really still don't. Let's be honest. I mean, you know, you see how I interact with my wife. I mean, we're, we borderline hit one another as our form of communication. So all in love, you know, like, and I think that yeah, all, uh, for sure, all in love. For for the sake that this is being recorded, it's definitely she hits me in love only. You both you both give it just as good as you get it. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. We definitely. I say it a thousand times. We for sure did two other people a favor, um, big time. You're perfect for each other, but um, um, but hi- <laughs> thank you. High school, you know, high school's tough. It's high school. It sucks. You're yeah. a kid. It's it's supposed yeah. to be shitty. Well, right? like I. Grade school, high school, I was fat, I shook, and I wore glasses. Yeah. And uh, this well, is when there were bullies. This was like, you know, this is the, the environment that I grew up in, and it made me who I am today. So I can't, it's hard to look back and say, oh, I didn't like high school, or oh, I was uncomfortable, or oh, it was bad because, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm still here. That's right? a like, beautiful, beautiful point. And I think all, all of us in some way, maybe not all of us, but I could say all of us have our own struggles through high school. Some people might not seem like they have it as much as others. Yeah. But but I believe the struggle exists for everybody. Sure. Again, there's a mental struggle. Yeah. Right. Like there's a mental, I don't know where to put myself. And then there's a struggle where some people go home and they can't afford electricity. Yeah. Or so that's even, a struggle to me, right? Like, so when you say, oh, you know, did you have struggles in high school? It's hard for me to say like, well, they're really looking back, it's, they're, they're fine. Like it's, you know, it is what it is. Whether or not they were monumentous to me back then has nothing to do with the fact of how I feel about them today almost. Exactly. Because you've gone through the journey and done the work and been able to come out the other side. And that's mm-hmm. 
the beauty of when we can do the self-exploration work and the self-discoveries and work through it and process it, it leads us to the other side. That's the saying of going through the darkness into the light, because then we can look back and we can be grateful and we can see the other side and the little gifts of things. And if we're staying stuck in the pain, then we're not able to see the other side. And that's the victimizing and the blaming. So I'm hearing that you, through the work you've done, you stepped out of the victim role and were like, yeah, this happened to me, but it doesn't define me. And I'm in the now and present. And now I'm actually grateful because I see the gifts of it. And that's where we want to live, right? Yes, 100%. Otherwise, we're stuck. We're stuck in the pain. Well, the other way is exhausting. Yeah, that's good. Right? Like it's constant exhaustion. And I think um, I touched on a little bit with you um, when we were communicating back and forth. But one of the reasons why all of the changes in my life is because I was tired. You know, whatever change came about, whether it was, sobriety, anxiety, gambling, just emotional abuse, whatever I'm doling out, I stop because I just was fucking exhausted. It sounds like the pain, the pain got to you of, okay, this is enough pain. Now I'm ready for change. Yes. And I love, love, love. When I went to college. So true. So yes, you went to college. Thank you. So when I went to college, um, my parents' only stipulation, and this is one of the smartest things they probably ever did, they said that I couldn't go to school close to home. So my parents owned a retail store where we're from. I was not my own child and my own person. I was my mother's son mm-hmm. wherever I went, right? And that's fine. Like, that is what it is. Uh, you know, I was my father's son. It was never just me. Yeah. So when they said you need to go away to school, I took that as you need to go away to school. So we're from Pennsylvania. That's where I grew up. Yeah. Uh, the colleges I applied to were University of St. Thomas, Virgin Islands, University of Miami, Florida, Tulane, which was in New Orleans and Arizona State University. Because okay. I was like, well, they want me gone. I'm going to go. Right. Like I'm going to go as far as I can go. Um, ASU accepted me because I'm a moron. Like, I, you know. I didn't have good grades. Like I just did whatever, like you do the bare minimum. I'm in high school, whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So fly to ASU. We all have different intelligences, it. Rick. <laughs> yeah. So you, you chose yeah. ASU. Yeah. Um, you know, got off the plane at ASU. It's a hundred degrees. You know, this is the good old days. So, you know, ladies are still like going to class in bikini tops, yeah. you know, people were like, and it was just, here's a drink. And I was like, yeah, this seems fun. And, and so you hadn't drank, you hadn't drank before college. No, this was like your no. first introductory. Yeah. Into yep. And then as soon as I started drinking, I was off to the races. Like I would ingest whatever, whatever was around, like the more fucked up I could get. And the less I remembered the next day, the happier I was like, just, you know, putting 600 pounds of sand on a problem night after night, after night, after night, after night, after night, after night, you know, fast forward three, four years later and I have 36 credits. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. And, you know, and how did you feel that? You know, (laughs) yeah. You know, so 300 pounds, which I showed you that picture. 
Yeah, you did. Um, probably not my best look. Oh, you know, looking back, <laughs> I definitely think I didn't peak in college for sure. Yeah. Um, drinking you know, will do that so, to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The cons to drinking are, are adding up here. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So, uh, December 1st, 1998, I put a gun in my mouth and sat on the bed for 20 minutes. And this was, this was four years into college. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Three, four the years, whatever it is at the time. However, it tracks, I graduated high school in 95. Uh, okay. This is December 2nd, 1998. And so what? December 1st, excuse me, December 1st, 1998. Um, I just, I put a gun in my mouth and just yeah. sat there. And tell me a little bit about leading up to that, because your first phrases were the less I remembered, the happier I got. Yeah. So was it like an immediate spiral? Was there, there, um, signs up to it? I think now sure there's signs. It's like, you know, you could just go back in from then until now and just pinpoint, Oh, that's exactly, that's when that happens. And that, when that, then, you know, when I'm in it, you can't see anything like, yeah, well, you're so close. My parents never, my parents never went to college. They didn't know there was no, like, like the grades came out and I'd get D's and C's and kind of like half-ass it and be like, no, no, this is what I'm doing. And this is fine. And they were just, you know, whatever, like they were just, yeah, he's happy. And he seems to be doing well. They didn't know. Right. And were you the first child that went to college in your family? Mm, Or did you, I mean, I'm the only child. So immediate family for sure. Okay. Um, I think my mom drove by a college at one point, like she was in and out. My dad, you know, graduated high school. Okay. Okay. Um, so we didn't know, like I, I, you know, realistically I was too young. I should have gotten a job if hindsight was 2020. Right. But I don't want to get too ahead of myself because without me, without that night on December 1st, I wouldn't be the person I am today. Right. Exactly. The journey. Yeah. So worst day of my life for sure. But also now that I have distance between that night and today, it's also the best day of my life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was right. Cause I didn't, it sounds like I didn't pull the trigger. Yes. And it wasn't a cry for help. I just sat there with the gun in my mouth because I was just fucking exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. The pain was just tired. You remember being in pain or. Oh God. Yeah. 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 I remember, you know, yeah. Everything hurts. Yeah. You know, and I don't mean physical shit. That's whatever. I mean, you know, in my brain, my brain is broken. Right. The mental space. Um, the mental. December 2nd, 1998. I woke up. Um, I was naked. I was sleeping at my apartment. Uh, I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, I'm fucking done. Went to a meeting that day about noon and I haven't drank since. Wow. Wow. That except um, one time I did, there is a, there's an asterisk in there. Cause I did have kombucha one time that was alcoholic and I didn't realize, it, but, <laughs> but as far as like actual, like, yeah, alcohol, you know, I'm not drinking NyQuil on ice anymore. Like, you know, I'm, yeah. Yeah. You're completely no sober. That speaks of amazing strength and willpower that you were able to just cold, tur- tu- cold Turkey um, go, mm. go sober. And my life, I worked with a life coach for a while. And he always said, 
when you're in enough, you won't change until you're in enough pain. Because here's yes, the thing, we get, 100% right. we get so comfortable, right? We get so comfortable and yeah. then it's like, I could change, but ah, uh, and the comfort of it all is what keeps us going back until yep. you hit that point. And we, it's, it's a different point for each of us. And that's where the danger lies because some of us, that point might be so much further than others. But when you hit that point of, okay, I've had enough pain, I'm done. Then that's when like, there is no other options. You've tried all the other options. Now you know that this is your yeah. last thing to change. And that's what will lead you to that change. Um, yeah. What do you, do you but mind? Th- and that's go- for me though, right? Cause I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, you go ahead. And then I can ask you, I'll interrupt you. If it's I was going to say that like, <laughs> okay, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, that's for me, right? Like that, that was my bottom. In, in that particular instance, everybody's bottom's different. And unfortunately for some of us, their bottom's death. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're not lucky enough to, you know, whether it's a high bottom or a low bottom, it's still a bottom. And, and you're right. You know, your life coach was right. When you're in it, it's normal. You know, you, you that behavior is the, the weird behavior is like someone that didn't drink. Yeah. 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 Like, you, oh, you're weird. I'm 19. It's, we're here to get fucked up. What's wrong with you? Like you think you know, the other one is weird. You can't see yourself as the problem. Correct. I mean, like, you know, pissing and shitting the bed, like that's normalized behavior, right? I'm in college. I'm a kid. What's the big deal? Yeah. We're having fun. Yeah. Until you realize it's not. Till it wasn't. It was fun until it wasn't, right? Yes. Now what were it's just, it's just like smoking cigarettes, right? My father told me the best advice ever about smoking cigarettes because he said, enjoy it because someday you're gonna have to quit. Or you don't, and then you pay the, it's knowing the risks and the consequences. And are you willing to take it to there and pay those risks and consequences? And if you're not, well, what's it going to take for you to turn it around now going back to those moments? And please tell me if you don't feel comfortable answering this, we don't have to go Mm -hmm. there, but what were, tell me a little bit more about your thoughts as you sat there on the bed and where your mental space was and kind of, was there anything that led up to it? You know, at that point I was, you know, it's a daily drinking, I think from what I can remember, um, it it was just constant need to get fucked up. I was in debt. I was failing school. I mean, they might as well have kicked me out at that point and to get kicked out of ASU is you got to work at it. You know what I mean? Like they don't really like work at the drink Harvard. Let's be honest. Yeah. Like you gotta, you have to really do nothing to be asked to leave there. And I, and I think I was pretty close from a grade standpoint and, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in credit card debt. Cause you get credit cards as a kid. And again, I'm not blaming anybody. I'm blaming myself. I'm the person who used them, but you know, just tired, just sat there and, and thought that was really the only way. Um, and just sat there. I didn't call anybody. I didn't, you know, cut my wrist this way. I'm going, you know, east, west, not north, south. I, I didn't cry for help. It wasn't anything like that. I was just fucking exhausted. And I didn't know what else to do. Yeah. Yeah. It was your only you know, other I, option. Your only other Not option. that my parents, you know, like I was, you know, uh, my parents knew that I was like, it's not like it's a surprise. Like, oh my God, I have a problem with drinking. They weren't, this was not shocking news to anyone. Right. And to well, me maybe, but not to anybody else. If it's in the family genes, it can get passed down. It's just, the, sure. it's the addictive nature and, or I'm sure that as children, if we have parents, 
that are addicts, we see patterns. And that that's the thing too, that every child is different where like I've heard of two children growing up in the household in the same household with addict parents, one child takes their trauma and does something completely different than the other, than the other child. And, and you'll ask them both, like maybe one child does go into addiction or, and he'll blame the parents, right? He'll blame the surroundings. The other child that did succeed and did do well, will say, well, I did it because of my parents, but it's, yeah, I saw my dad drink opposite. It's the complete opposite reason. So you never know how, how the mental space and the environment, and it's just so there's so many factors that go into it and dynamics. It's. And you as a parent, you know, can understand this. I definitely don't have nightmares about my behavior passed on to my son at all. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, yeah, it is. That's a, but you have to, when you're in the active addiction, you can't, mm-hmm. you can't see it that way. No, you don't, you don't see anything it that way. Um, I was trying to figure out where to get $20 so I could buy yeah. drugs and or booze and or whatever to put in my body to get fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. That's all your thoughts revolve, revolve yeah. around. Yeah. And so you hit your point, you started going to therapy and you said you did the 12 step program first. Yeah. 12 step work for me. Doesn't work for everybody. You know, um, uh, whatever means, whatever addiction or isms anyone's battling, however they get to the other side, whether that is a church, whether that is a peer group, whether it is therapy, whether it's 12 step, I mean, it doesn't matter as long as you get better. Right. Like to me, I, I don't 12 steps work for me to get sober, but it didn't necessarily work for other people. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's always, that's a good point. It has to be your own individual process and journey. And if you don't feel like something is working or beneficial for you, then it's, it is important to continue to search. Yep. However, it's okay for things to not work for you and to seek something else. It's just part. Yes. A hundred percent. I mean, people, anything, you know, if people get addicted to anything, I guess it starts to become what addictions are you addicted to? Right. If you're doing yoga, an hour and a half every day mm-hmm. for some people that might be too much. Right. Mm-hmm. But is that like the worst thing to do? And it's certainly better than maybe the alternative of drinking an hour and a half every day. Yeah. And, or going on a shopping spree for an hour and a half. Yes. A day. Oh and yeah. We'll touch on that too. That, that, that was there later on in life. So that's, and that was where my next question was going to lead up. So your primary addiction was the alcohol. Did you have any other addictions that coexisted with it at that point? At that point? No, I mean, spending, but that's hard to, that's hard to justify as a separate addiction to the alcohol because I spent money for drugs and booze. Okay. Did that start? Did you start to see it go away? No, um, sober, moved back home. Okay. Um, All I did was work theme here. Um, and work and work and work and work and buy shit basically. And then, so over time I realized this was, you know, went back to school on the weekends, met my wife at the time, um, you know, did all of that kind of stuff, but still didn't drink, didn't do drugs, battled that, you know, I'm going to max a credit card out because I like the chaos of getting that thing cranked and then paying it off. 
and then getting it cranked and then paying it off. Like I like that whatever chemical was released in my ape brain. Yeah. Like I really like that. Yeah. And okay. Can I maybe point out a parallel that might, Yeah. 100%. this is just in my brain. Thank you. Sure. And it might not even be relevant, but what a parallel to your parents yeah. after they got sober and they're just yep. buying you and buying you and buying you things. Um, and that's a, a parallel to them, yeah. you growing up and buying and buying. And I know we talked about self-esteem and the self-esteem issues you had, and that it could be a reflection of your own internal landscape. I don't have the inner self-esteem, so I'm using the external to give, to give me whatever I'm lacking from my internal yep. landscape. Did you feel like that relates at oh, 100%. all? Or? Oh, yeah. Like yeah. Uh, as soon as they got sober, I mean, they worked obviously up until they got sober. They were they were adults when they got sober. Right. Mm -hmm. But when they got sober, all they did was work. When I got sober, all I did was work. It was work. Yeah. Because I'm tired all the time. If I go to work and I'm working uh, whatever I'm doing and I do 60 hours a week, six days a week, I'm so tired. There's no time. Forget about you. you think, you're not going else. outside the house. Never mind going out drinking. Like you're just going home and falling asleep. So you basically so for a long took, time that kept me sober. Yes. You took one addiction for another and yeah. it was still the, what's the worst of the evils and the yep. way you look at yeah. it, because there is a lot of gray and white. We don't have to be so black and white and, oh, well, that's bad. Well, not necessarily. You don't live in my life. You don't, yeah. how are you going to judge it being bad when you don't know where I came from and what it's keeping Correct. me from, even if it's still kind of a band aid. It's still keeping you from going back into the alcoholism. And it's the yes. best. We're always doing the best we can at, at each moment. And that yes. was the best you could do. Well, um, I had to pay off debt. Yeah. Right? My parents yes. were, they were nice enough. Of course, they all, they probably still let me move back in with them. They'd be excited at this point, but they let me move back in. Although we would. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No <laughs> shit. I love <laughs> you, mom and dad, but I love yeah, having but, my own And I, and I don't want to like torch them up over the course of the podcast and they're not here to defend themselves. I mean, they might turn around and say, you're a fucking idiot. Your kid, your childhood wasn't like that. Like, what are you talking about? But that's what I remember. But of, right? yes, like, and that's our experience and honoring our own individual experience. It was good. My parents spent time with me. Yeah. It was a good childhood. Yeah. There was some things that I changed about myself. We could touch on that later, but I changed about myself when I became a parent because yes. I knew that those were regrets that both my mom and my dad have verbalized to me. You know, my father told me that he didn't make enough time for me and he didn't have enough patience for me when I was a kid. Yeah. But he told me that when I'm 40. Yeah. Not, do you know what I mean? So like I, I saw the, the, the mistakes they made and I, there was no way I was doing that. Yeah. You to were, my son. You right? were conscious enough. And that's where the, uh, realizing what we saw and we turn it and we're like, sure. I knew I didn't like that. So I'm going to be yeah. different as a parent. Yeah. 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 But the good news is, is our kids will tell their therapist that their parents love them too much or whatever bullshit that they bring up. So, I mean, you know, they're going to therapy, just not for the shit I went to therapy for. That's yeah. all it is. Like they're going. Cause we're all perfectly imperfect and we There's all no have different wiring. Yeah. 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 We all do. So take me back. So you did, the um, 12 step in at, in Arizona, 
Were you continuing to go to a program once you moved back in with your parents? Yes. Yeah. Um, I was five, six meetings a a week guy, daily meetings, you know, for the first probably three, four, five years of my sobriety. Um, it it worked. I, you know, there, there was something to be said to go in a room of 20 other people. And I would tell my story. And, you know, at that point now I don't cry anymore because it's, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like a parody of my, what I remember, right? Like if I start crying, it's like, oh, what the heck am I crying about? Like there's, it's fine. Right. But you, at the time I go into a room as a 21 year old and, and tell 20 strangers, I put a gun in my mouth and they all, they're all like, yeah. And so did we all like, what do you, you're not, that doesn't make you special. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you have, you have a room full of, of 20 other people with literally the same story. You know, the details may be a little bit different. Maybe the, you know, some people are a top shelf liquor and some people are, you know, drinking mad dog 2020 or, or you know, whatever it is like, but ultimately the, those beats, those story beats are all the same. That's, everybody hit their bottom. That's a beautiful analogy of how we're all interconnected, right? We're all one consciousness, essentially. Mm-hmm. We're all in it together. We're just our own expressions and unique expressions. So sometimes we can get into, I love that you brought that up because sometimes you can feel like, well, my pain is different. Yeah, no. But actually everybody I'm, I'm, has everybody 20 has other pain. fucking idiots out there just like me. And if not worse, because yeah. I was 21, right? I only fucked up my life. Maybe my pa- my parents, of course, I'm sure were devastated. But you're talking to people that have two and three kids. Their wife left them. Their husband left them. They're filing for divorce. They, you know, totaled three cars. Like whatever. Like there's. It's just like Jesus. Like you want to get your gratitude on. Like mm, that's, well, yeah. I guess it's not that bad. I just I'll, I'll just go to work and be happy because oh, you know I'm not them. Right. There is a space. I strongly feel that there is a space to honor pain and you don't want to wallow in it. You don't want to wallow in it. So you want to honor and acknowledge pain and not stuff it away, but you also don't want to stay stuck in it. You want to be able to, but now like for the, that kind of the not stuck, like I look at myself as I look back and I look at the 21 year old me. I'm like, he's an idiot. The hell is he thinking? Like what's wrong with you? Yeah. But that's, you wouldn't you know, have been 22 years after that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now with the, the wisdom of it all. And that's why it's the journey. Who knows? Maybe you wouldn't be where you are right now. If You wouldn't be where you are right now. If you hadn't have had no hundred percent. And I don't get to that. Cause I definitely, I'm telling you it, as bad as that day was, it's the best day of my life. Yeah. Okay. Cause without, so, so you did, sorry, go ahead. Without, no, no, no. So without, without doing that, if I didn't put a gun in my mouth, if I didn't get sober, I would have never went back home. Yeah. Okay. Would have never went to Pennsylvania, went back to college. Uh, at that point, there wasn't really online school that was like weekend school. So you go on the weekends and that's where I met my wife. Yes. Michelle, lovely Michelle. And so. Michelle. Yes. The patient Michelle, let's, that's more patient than lovely. Let's really, let's be honest. She is, she's, everyone's lovely in their, in their ways. And she's very, she's lovely. So you, I just heard she's patient over and over again there. (laughs) She, so you meet her and you're doing counseling for three to five years. 
or yeah. the the Al Anon. Three years at the time, yeah. Three years yeah. AA. Um, starting to feel like a person. Um, you know, dated, went on half-ass dates with other people at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, me and Michelle were friends first, like legitimate, just buddies. Um, and, and one thing led to another, and we just hung out more and more and more and more. And you know, on again, off again. I didn't love her in that way. Clearly, I did because you know we're still married fourteen years later. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I mean, we did our, you know, normal shit and I still, still worked my steps, focused on myself, you know, as far as not focused on myself in a selfish manner, at least at this part of my life, but focused on myself in trying to be a better person or be a whole person, not even better, just not be a shitty person. Right. You said a whole person. And I love that Mm -hmm. because a lot of issues will stem from, we want to enter the world as a whole person. And when we feel like we're lacking as a person, that's where then we're trying to fill those voids externally. And that's where a lot of crappy behavior can come from and, or where you're damaging relationships. But when we enter the Mm -hmm. world as a whole person, that's when we have the confidence and self-esteem to recognize ourselves as our own entity and then we can recognize others as their own entities as well. Yes. So I love that you you use that word whole. Yeah. And so you're doing, you did the, the 12 steps. And then was there a period of time where you stopped? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, by the time I got married, um, we moved uh, to Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, oddly enough, I, it wasn't a hard sell for my wife. She hates the winter. And, you know, obviously it's it's kind of paradise here for the most part. Um, and we moved here, uh, married, just like, just married, finding jobs, connecting with old friends, just kind of living life as, as newlyweds, um, went to a few A meetings out here, but I, I kind of just stopped because it was just like me and her hanging out really, um, still never drank, you know, once, you know, with, as far as the booze was concerned, like once I stopped drinking, I just stopped, you know, I, I rarely, you know, every once in a while, like. I'd be like, oh, I, I wonder what that burger tastes like with that beer. But like, I'm like, it ain't, no matter how good it tastes, it's not the cons for me way outweigh the pros, right? Um, and then it turned into spending and never being able to say no to my wife. Okay. Oh, tell I me still more can't about say that. no to her. Just can't Sweet. say no to her. Okay. Whatever she wants. I don't care. I'll find the money. Okay. And she doesn't ask for much. Yeah. Um, she's not, you know, she doesn't give a shit about being dressed in whatever clothes or whatever purse or, you know, but I just was never able to say no to her. And I still struggle with it. I still, you know, struggle with, oh, well, we don't really have the money for that or or that kind of stuff. I just, it's not in my vocabulary for her. Okay. And then, so throughout our marriage, we would, she, so I have to probably back it up. She doesn't, she doesn't want to deal with money at all. Right. So we got engaged. She would sign her check over to me and just say, let me know if I have lunch money. Like she, want to be like, she doesn't want to do bills. That's, that's no joke. Like she doesn't want to do anything with just, just not her DNA. Right. She doesn't yeah. like doing it. So I would just figure it out and find money or, you know, crank a credit card up or move money around or whatever. And just did that for years and years and years. And then it took me a while, it took me probably 10 years of our marriage to realize I would be so stressed about that, about trying to find money 
that she would come home and ask me how my day was. And I would just fucking unload on her. Like I would lose it over something totally, totally unrelated. And she's like, what did I do? I didn't even say anything. I just, you know, I'm sorry. I forgot a dish in the sink or, you know. So this was, and this was over the the pressure of the money that you, it sounds like maybe you weren't talking to her about it. I put on myself. (laughs) And well, well, it sounds like she didn't like to do it. So either uh, like subconsciously, then if you assign those kind of roles in a relationship, that's where you might start to take on a little bit more pressure and, or feel like you can't talk to her about it because you're like, well, she doesn't want, she doesn't like to do that stuff. So then the pressure builds. Okay. So, so the pressure builds and then this is, you know, pre, this is before we had Rick James leading up to it. Mm -hmm. I still was never able to say no to her. Okay. So did you Um, seek counseling at that point? Were you like, no, I didn't think anything was wrong. Okay. What's wrong? We're both working. Everything's fine. Yeah. So we spend a little bit more than the average family. No big deal. Right. What's the worst that could happen? Right. Yeah. So then it just turns into me being a dick and, you know, not, not who I, not unfair to her. Right. Maybe, boy, I I tread lightly in, in saying this, but this is more probably in the lines of emotional abuse. Right. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm an emotionally abusive person or hold hostages, hold hostages, which I do when I'm when it suits me. But in this particular instance, it is emotional abuse. Well, and you have um, that built up resentment, it, it sounds yes. like. So when we have those built up yeah. feelings, if we're not dealing with the core issue and not able to express it, then it is going yeah. to come out in in those ways. Yep. Then we have Rick James. Okay. So you guys had the, Sorry. that's okay. Do you need me to pause? So, no, 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 no. Okay. Sorry. Another call was coming in. I, okay. I panicked. Okay. <laughs> Happens. Part of technology life. Right. And I'm <laughs> supposed like, no, to be good at technology, but I don't take not, my screen off. <laughs> right. Like where she disappeared. Um, so you guys so have, have this, Rick, these issues you, and then you have, yeah. you have your son, Rick, have James. Rick James. And now there's two people I'm not able to say no to. Okay. Right. Because, I mean, Rick James came out. He might as well have been Jesus. Until right? like, until they the, start telling us no. And then we're like, uh, oh, even then, I love it. I love that. he's. I, I can't wait for him to be a smart ass to me. I, I celebrate it. Like, I know it's going to come back and haunt me, but whatever. I don't care. He's great. <laughs> whatever. I don't give a shit. <laughs> so we have Rick James and I was there in the delivery room. And if it was anybody else. It looked like a scene from damn apocalypse now, but it's my baby. And it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. To this day, like that is my kid. Like I literally, I couldn't hold him. I was so scared. And it sounds like that became a why for you as well. Or a reason. For sure. On top of all the, the others. Yeah. And then continued on, uh, you know, with the behavior of not now saying no to two people mm-hmm. um, and spent, uh, you know, and all Michelle did was work. As much and you're as you're both, you're both could. working at this time. Yes. Both working, both working our asses off doing it. My parents, um, we actually moved my parents in with us so they could help 
um, watch Rick James when we both was work, were working. Okay. Um, and it was great. I mean, spending way too much money back then, of course, like, you know, that, that kind of running theme. Um, but I, we adjusted our lives, uh, both myself and Michelle to spend the most amount of time with Rick James as we possibly could, just because, you know, we both grew up in those type of environments where our parents were just too busy working all the time. And for us, it was going to be, we've just insisted on being around. Um, and I'm still battling my own addictions of causing chaos because that's the environment that I'm most comfortable in. Right. Yeah, Hence why I'm mention using that. credit cards or buying stupid stuff or buying cars or whatever it is that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so fast forward, uh, a, a few years later, um, get the spending under control, of course, you know, um, and all of that. Uh, now, how did, another, sorry, how did you, how did you do that? Did you seek help for that? Or was that something no. that you just kind of got to enough pain and got to your point where you're like, this got is tired, buddy. Okay. Got tired, tired of, tired of working for nothing, tired of basing my happiness on buying whatever widget. Oh, I love that. You know, Basing my happiness. So it sounds like bullshit it was- ass, you know, wallet that I wanted from Louis Vuitton. Yeah. Cause I'm a delightful gentleman and that's what delightful gentlemen wear. Right. Like I want my damn Louis Vuitton sunglasses and Gucci oh. shoes and go screw yourself. I don't care. I don't the care. Mani- the that's manipulation the of for. I want it. Yeah. So, but I love those words yeah, basing I- my internal happiness. So do yeah. you feel like that I'm was a happy, mindset? I'm- Switch moment for you? Well, yeah. Have you ever been in the Gucci store? You're instantly happier when you go in there. This shit is great. That's like Lulu, right? That's like Lulu. Yeah. They have all these people kissing your ass, telling you how fabulous you are. Yeah. Wonderful. What, what's bad about you? that, right? <laughs> yeah. The epitome of external and, happiness. So, yeah. What? Until the bill comes and then it's like, <laughs> oh, fuck, I got to pay for that. <laughs> shit. You know, whatever. So, and it's. So the big again, swing of emotions. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. But that's, but that's my drug, right? That, that, yeah. that more the that roller coaster chaos, ride. That, yes. Like everything's coaster. going good. Let me completely derail it. Cause that's where I'm in my comfort zone. Do, ooh. And do you feel like that could be an analogy of things are going so well, I'm going to self-sabotage it before 100%. I get it ripped out from me. Yes. You had told, yeah. you had shared with me that your childhood was a little bit like that. Like the mm-hmm. roller coaster and you didn't kind of didn't know what to expect. Oh yeah. My parents self-sabotage for sure. Yeah. yeah. Not that they're here to defend themselves. So uh, again, I'm sure we, I'll hear shit about this from my mother later on, but whatever. Well, and we all, we're all human, right? So we, yeah. we all have our own self-sabotaging behavior, yep. but the only way that you can grow past it is you have to yes. have that awareness of it. So that's why yeah. but it's, it's no and, shame. And we're either. getting there. It, it, it took until real recently for me to not self-sabotage and cause chaos when things are, I mean, real recently, like where I wouldn't be chaotic. Um, you know, Rick James was two years old and he's no, 12. three, three he's or 12 four now. years. He's, yeah. He's 12 now. He was, so he's three or four years old at the time. Uh, and I told Michelle, I said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to get a, a new vehicle. You know, we needed a new car whatever. Um, I said, I'm going to go and get a Jeep, like a four door Jeep, you know, for the family. It'll be fun. We can use it on the weekend, whatever it is we're going to do with it. Right. I came home with a Mustang. I think she's like, what happened to the Jeep? 
And I said, they I were sold out of them. Look proposal. at this Mustang. And she yeah. said, where the, where the fuck are we going to put your son? I'm like, you'll figure it out. So he's in the back seat. And at the time he had the, the reverse car seats. Yeah. Where he has to go the other way, whatever the hell it is. So she's in the front seat. And I mean, literally her head is like in the dashboard. You know, I had that nine months. <laughs> is she looking at you the whole time? Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> no. I, I've pushed the level of her patience. It's probably the closest she's ever been to leaving pee. And, and honestly, anybody that knows me, like, ain't nobody going to blame, like, her for leaving me. Like, that, that, that scenario doesn't exist, right? Like, like, when people get divorced, like, they split friends. Yeah. I'm going to be left with maybe the fucking dogs if I'm lucky. <laughs> maybe. At least you can, your better half, that puts a whole new spin on your better half. Totally. Right. But so take it back to, so you're self-sabotaging. These behaviors are yep. going into, now you have your own son. Sure. Where was your crucial moment and what did you do about it? Because I know that you, you, you did go on to do more therapy. Yeah, I started. So, um, so a little bit of a, a shift. Uh, uh, right before I bought the, the Mustang in 2011, I think it was, uh, we had a brand new house, two brand new cars, and I got fired from my job in construction at the time. I was the breadwinner. Um, so at that point, uh, you know, that's when we decided to just have one. Um, but the reason why I'm saying this is Michelle's career took off. Okay. And I just kind of existed. I would do jobs. I do whatever. I, I didn't care, but like her job, like she had a career and I'm just like dicking around doing whatever, just so I could have more freedom to be with Rick James because she had to travel and missed out on stuff with Rick James. Right. Yeah. So we move, uh, move out of Arizona to Austin, uh, at the time for her career. And I still, uh, at that point, I actually sought out therapy. That's where the one, uh, the therapist there told me uh, that I caused chaos because that's what I control. Um, so had a had an undertone um, of always like, God, she's so successful and I'm an idiot. Never jealous of her, always supportive. And I'm a bottom line kind of guy. Like I wish she made 12 times as much as she made. I don't care if she makes more than me. I, I don't care. Like that's, that's insanity. Who gives a shit? I don't care if Rick James makes more than me. I hope he does, right? Like, I wish he made money now. It shouldn't help us out. <laughs> like, all I ever cared about was the bottom line, right? So I never... Yeah. The win-win. You're a win-win a person. Yes. Win-win. But I'm sure at some points in my life when she's traveling the world and I'm like, well, I'm just, you know, I'm, I didn't leave the county this week. You know what I mean? Like, so I'm sure there was some resentment there, uh, okay. even if I don't think there is. So cause chaos, uh, you know, still still doing stupid shit and still being an idiot. Like um, what? We like end up moving back. Some of the things just, that you were behaviors. Just emotional abuse, just, you know, rolling grenades in the room and running away, but figurative grenades. Right. Yeah. Like just or, causing. Yeah. Just, just, she says hi to me in the, in the wrong way. And I'm in the mood to fight with her. And I just, you know, I just fight with her because I'm just in the mood to fight and fuck everyone fight. else. Right. Yeah. Um, spending both of us, you know, it, it still doing our, nothing's like wrong, wrong. We're still going ahead with everything. And then we moved to air then. So before I get ahead of myself, 
I realized I have an issue, uh, an issue I never thought I had. Mm-hmm. We went to a Big Bend Park, National Park, State Park, uh, with friends of ours. And we we're just there to relax and have fun and hike and just, just go camping, right? So I had this schedule. We had a schedule of stuff we were going to do throughout the day. And it was like midday and the schedule changed. And I fucking lost my shit. And the people I was with, they're such close friends. Like they don't, they're just like, yeah, whatever. It's just me. Like they didn't even care, right? Mm-hmm. They don't even remember me doing it when I brought it up to them a few years later. And I realized how much of an it control issue I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like uh, the, the OCD issues and uh, how rigid I was and that I wasn't flexible enough. Like all we were doing was maybe not going on a hike and we were going to go out to dinner. Or we were going to go on a hike instead of dinner or whatever it was. And I just lost my shit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's that's not right. Like that was I never sought therapy for that. That just hit me one day. Like that was another moment in my life when, you know, maybe not as dramatic as the first moment um, in 1998, but certainly which caused me to pause and start changing how I behave about stuff. And that's really where um, I realized that the money issues started to come into play. Um, my emotional abuse issues started to come in play, all that stuff. And from then on is when I really um, have been trying to work on it. So you, um, but it wasn't until, sorry, sorry go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, 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 you first. Nope. It, no, you, it wasn't until what? When we were camping in Big Bend. Okay. That I realized that my issues go way beyond drinking. Okay. Right. So up until that I point, knew I like, wanted well, I'm not drinking. Yeah. I'm not drinking. I can do whatever I want. I'm not drinking. I deserve those fucking Gucci shoes. I'm not drinking. I'm going to buy my wife a $700 dinner. That's what she wants. That's what we're getting. I don't care. Whatever. Like I didn't give a shit. You couldn't tell me anything. Right. Because I wasn't drinking. It almost sounds like they're over there getting that became your excuse. You're like your justification. They're drinking every Friday, Saturday night. They're not taking care of their kids. I'm here sober as a judge doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I deserve whatever I want. Yeah. Yeah. So you, it, it almost became like a double-edged sword in a way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For the not. So fast forward, um, we moved back to Arizona. And were Um, you, I'm sorry, were you seeing a therapist in Austin? You had seen one who had told you about the chaos. Was this before? Yes. The chaos. Was that before yeah, that was Big beforehand. Bend? Was that before yes. Big Bend? Okay. So you were, it yep. sounds like, yeah. how many times did you see her? Were you seeing her pretty frequently? Maybe like 12, 15 times, 12 I think 15. throughout the course of a couple months. And at that time, were you open to the information that she was giving you? And were you starting to? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. No, 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 no. There was no guards up. I mean, yeah. And I went because I wasn't happy with where my career was at. Okay. Um, I didn't have a career. I could have done anything I wanted to do. Like not like, obviously I'm not going to be the president, right? Like there's, there's stuff I'm not going to do. Like, I know I'm not like my handshake. I'm not going to be a brain surgeon. I'm not a moron. Like, but I could do like, I could have the freedom. Like I, I didn't have to work at company XYZ because I need to make X amount of dollars. And that's the expectation because that's my identity is my work. Right. Like yeah. when I would be a smart ass to people and they say, Oh, what do you do? And I would just tell them I'm a dad. And they're like, but no, what do you do? I'm like, Oh, I'm a dad. That's my career. Yeah. I'm like, I go to work so I could have piss away money for the weekends. That's why I go to work. 
Yeah. And what almost sounds like, so you went to therapy for not being happy with where your career was and maybe even, so that could explain some of the, the, the chaos you were creating with Michelle, because when we have the internal chaos, Mm-hmm. Then we're projecting it externally because it gives us a sense of a false sense of control in our environment that we don't have yep. inside. So it's yep. almost like I'm freaking out because I don't know who I am. Um, I have this identity that I'm tied to with um, my job, even if I might not realize it, but I'm not happy because I don't have this job. But really, it goes beyond that. But I'm going to use that as my excuse and create control or create chaos in the environment. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, no, no. That's 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 my story. That's my life story, right? Is I'm going to cause chaos because I can then control it and fix it. And then I'm a hero. Yeah. For and, shit and that I did. Instead of. Like it doesn't even make sense. Like when you verbalize it, it makes no sense. But it it does because it's living in that internal versus external world. So whatever we're like, our external landscape is always a reflection of our internal. So whatever we can't control inside, we're going to try to control it on the exterior. So that speaks that there's a lack of inner control that we're not addressing when we're trying to do that on the external. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Yeah. So, okay. So you saw her, you, realized when you went to Big Ben that you had these control issues, then you moved to Arizona. And did you at that point, Mm -hmm. like, where does the story go from there? Did you start doing any counseling? Did you kind of start doing things on your Uh, own? No counseling. Um, You know, our relationship is good. Like there's no, you know, Rick James is killing it. Michelle's fine. We're good. Um, Moved to Arizona. You know, it's life. It's great. Met you know, got in touch with old friends, made new friends, started finding places to work out, all this cool stuff. Um, quarantine pandemic comes along. Okay. And had, both myself and Michelle had a long conversation. And before, you know, this is in last March, February, this now, time last year. Before, sorry to interrupt that, but. No, no, bef- go ahead. Before this, were you actively making any changes? Cause you had mentioned you were trying to change some behaviors. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Definitely trying to be less rigid, um, more kind of go with the flow, more accepting of change. Uh, more, if it's not on the schedule, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we do it or not do it, uh, still struggling with that, of course. I mean, that's, you know, you're trying to rewrite your brain. Um, yeah. For me, in a lot of ways, You're rewiring. Uh, but st- but working on it, at least working on it and knowing that, like, you know, I would be halfway through telling Michelle something and I would stop and be like, no, I'm sorry, I'm being selfish or whatever it is. Right. Like, so at least I'm recognizing it at this point. I love. So you're building the self-awareness and that's what it is. You can't be aware until, you know, and it's that's like yes. the, the process. That's why we talk about so much about enjoying the process and stop focusing on the destination, because yep. then you're going to miss those little pieces of the process. Yeah. And I'm, I'm destination. That's the only thing I focus on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that makes sense. There's no side. It's just destination. Yes. The outcome. You want to control the outcome. So you're so hyper-focused, but then we miss all the beautiful parts of it and the being in flow. 
and how ironic that you're working on this before COVID hits. Yes, yes. What great so, for COVID? So COVID is coming, whatever yeah. it is, right? And this is when it's in the beginning. It's like for real COVID, like everybody dying. There's 100% death rate. Every, you go outside, you're fucking dead. Yeah, where well, we didn't know and we wanted to. No one knew. So. Yes. So I said to Michelle, I said, before this started, I said, we, to be successful, we are going to have to accept every bit of change that comes our way this year, whatever it is, whether it's homeschool or school school or the gym closes or we're working out in the living room or we both lose our jobs because we've been there before, right? Like this is not. These are life on life's terms. Like you, this is adult shit. Like some people lose their job. Some people lose their house through no fault of their own. Yeah. You know, this is. It sounds like we're not going to fight it. We're going to. Whatever is going to happen is going to happen. I can't. In this one, I can't control shit. Yeah. You know, what I can control is I'm like, okay, take your vitamin C and drink orange juice. I don't know what the hell to do. Right. Like I'm a bro science guy. Like "Eh, it works for me. It should be fine. (laughs) We, we licked dirt as children. Like, don't, don't. right. Yeah. Like it's fine. We'll figure it out. It's, it's all good. Um, so in the pandemic, uh, you know, we're doing okay. It's, you know, it's certainly better than a lot of other people. Neither one of us had a job stoppage or, you know, mm-hmm. life is good. We're still able to work out and, and do a lot of things. Um, I really, uh, opened up. There's a couple of changes that happened this year that really have helped me out. Um, uh, and, and certainly not that I'm pandering to my audience, but one of them was yoga. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was a big, a big, big part of me for whatever reason it, it came to me when I needed it, like all things do. Um, but it helped me mentally. Um, and one of the reasons for that, it was a last fall break, whenever it was, I had a few days off from work. I work at a school mm-hmm. and I'm lucky enough to have that school schedule. So I had more days off than I'm used to. Uh, I've never had downtime, right? And I don't do well with downtime. Yeah. Uh, I, I always get in trouble. So uh, we're on day three or four of our break, right? When I sh- hanging out with Rick James and Michelle and everything's fine. And I'm applying to part-time jobs because I'm just, I, I don't know what to do with myself. Mm-hmm. And I, and I really sit there and think about it. Michelle's like, listen, you can do whatever you want to do, but she's like, just enjoy your life. Like, just, just enjoy your stuff. Like, just stop. What are you doing? We, you know, why are you trying to work another job? Yeah. We're like, you know, that's a good point. Why am I trying to, it's not to escape them. Cause I, I always want to be around those guys. Like we, we killed ourselves to not to work a weekend so we could hang out together on the weekends. And here I am trying to work a weekend. And I'm just like, what the fuck is wrong with me? I can't enjoy anything because it's just that constant need. So it was a pause moment. Um, I actually, at that point, so we're doing, we're in last October. um, When I would find myself getting like that, um, I've actually introduced uh, THC. Okay. Um, Still no drinking. Um, But I introduced THC to, to my diet, so to speak, or to my, to myself when I get, uh, spun up like that. And, and, you know, like when I'm off to the races, um, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a gummy. It's a half a gummy here and there. Um, I was nervous at first trying it because of my past, right. Cause I abuse everything, but I also realized I'm a different person than I was 
22 years ago. I love that. Um, and obviously I watch myself with it. And do you feel like it helps slow everything down? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I kind of take it like Sundays are always tough for me. They've always been a bad day for me for whatever reason. I don't know why. Um, I, I think it's probably the amount of just usually it's like a chill day. So I will do so much stuff like I'll do 20 loads of laundry. I'll clean the house two times. I'll start painting. Like I just keep going and going and going and going and going, you know, and I'm cooking and I'm doing whatever I can do until like I just pass out wherever I'm standing from exhaustion. Right. Yeah. But I found that like, well, no, it's okay just to sit down at noon. Like you did four hours of shit. You did yoga. You did all this. You worked out. You walked the dogs. Your kid's good. Like every, everything's fine. And you're still going. Yeah. And it's, sounds... and then I'm exhausted and mean to Michelle. Yeah. And well, it's so it sounds, and then we'll, because you're doing, 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 you're so focused on being productive. And then we can almost spiral into, I'm not doing enough and still have that feeling, even though we've done all this stuff um, yes. and, or we're not taking the time to take care of ourselves. So of course we're going to feel grumpy, but I, I, love that you pointed this out because another thing that my life coach has always said, it's becoming okay with being bored because typically in children that grew up in chaotic environments, boredom or silence was not a good thing. So it's rewiring yourself to be okay with, I can sit here and let my nerves settle and be quiet and sit in boredom. And it's the balance of life, right? Because in chaos, we're so used to that, that extreme that then when we start to try to pull back into some balance, of course, you don't want to like always be on the side of boredom or not doing anything, but there is, it's important to have a balance. So it's learning to recognize and, and almost recoach yourself of it's mm-hmm. okay for me to sit here and be silent. And that's, that's what yoga in a way it does because you have to sit there with yourself. And sometimes we are in postures and poses where you might be there for a little longer and there are going to be thoughts that come up and, and feelings. And it teaches, it's a great tool to help you rewire in that moment, your response to it all. And to like, oh, I can let that thought go. I don't, I can sit here and the more you practice it, it becomes that muscle. And the more you're able to do it off, off yep. from that too. Because about six years ago, um, again, I got tired of being fat. Mm-hmm. I got tired of being. And I was going to ask you fat, about but unhealthy. when you started. Yeah, I was going to ask yeah, you I'm when sorry, you started working out. No, I love about that. Six you... years ago. Uh, sorry, we jumped around. I know it's ADD on me, but. Um, no, I love. I wanted to got... bring it up. So. Thank you. And I, and I totally glossed over it. Um, so six years ago, we got a dog and I was like, God, I'm overweight. I'm out of shape. Like I just, I feel bloated all the time, whatever it was. And that so had kind God, of me, followed you from college. Yeah. I mean, I lost a bunch of weight when I was, when I first got sober, cause I was 300 pounds and drinking all the time. So obviously weight came off me. Right. But I was never really healthy. Okay. I might've been skinny at times in my life or whatever, but not healthy. And I'm making a wave motion with my hand. I know we're not on video. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I realize how insane that looks as I'm doing it basically to myself. 
Um, so I never really was healthy. I was just maybe skinny or fit in clothes or whatever. So about six years ago, you know, we've had dogs on and off. We got a dog and I just started walking her to the mailbox and back because it was about as far as I could go. Cause I was just like, God, I'm huffing and puffing. We made it to the mailbox. It's embarrassing. And I would do that twice a day. And I do it twice a day and twice a day and twice a day and twice a day. And I'm averaging now I exercise about three hours a day. I probably should address that in some sort of addiction, but whatever, it's fine for now. Um, so between walking and, and working out and yoga and everything else, um, you know, I went from, it, it started with a walk to the mailbox. I went, I, I got off my fat ass. I was tired. I was tired of not being you did, healthy. You did one thing. You just changed one, one thing. And Christina and hand to God, it was a, not an eighth of a mile walk. Like yeah. it was embarrassing. It was so short of a walk. I shouldn't have put shoes on. I love that. Right. Like it's embarrassing. The, like to even the, say like, that's a walk, but that's the analogy of yes. just change one thing. What's the one yeah. thing I can start with and change. Yes. And then that's your little path that then guides you yep. to more and more, but you have to start somewhere. Yes. So twice a day, mornings at night, I would walk the dog to the mailbox. Every time I get a little bit farther. Now we go four miles and I'm like a madman if I don't go the four miles because it's like I got all this extra energy and the dogs are like spinning in circles and, you know, like, yeah, like, oh, let's so, go. We got to do this. We're, we're ready to go. So the exercise also, would you say, has contributed to different levels of energy as well? Huge, huge, huge. You know, I, I found it when I needed it. Um like anything, you know, you find stuff when not necessarily maybe looking for it, but when I needed it in my life or when you're ready, for um, it. you know, it found me. Yes. Mm-hmm. I found me it, or it found me or however, you know, you want to say it. Um, and then it was a slow build, uh, you know, like it, I didn't go from the first day of walking a quarter mile or not even a quarter mile, whatever it was, uh, to working out two hours a day at whatever gym is popular. Right. Like that's not, it did. It didn't happen that way. It went from, you know, that slow, maybe I'm walking a mile a day. And I did that for months and months and months. And you wouldn't even like, you barely see any weight loss. Like the first year, if you want, cause I track once a year in December, I weigh myself cause that's my heaviest month and blah, blah, blah. It's just a good reminder. And it doesn't get me obsessed with the scale. And you know, that first year I lost maybe like four pounds. Like it's, you didn't even lose weight. Right. Like I basically built a habit. That's in a yes. sense what I did. The, the first years I built a habit of, you know, it's raining. I'm still walking the dogs. Oh, so it's, you built a habit and you committed to it and you were consistent with yes, it. Yes. It's sleeting. I'm still walking the dogs. Yeah. We're in Arizona. It's 110. I'm walking by myself because it's too hot for the dogs to walk. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it's still, it still goes. And you then didn't it make any into, excuses. Okay, I'm try. You committed and you did it. No. Yes. And, you know, then I started adding, um, exercise, uh, like, you know, going to different gyms, things like that. And then we moved out here. Um, I noticed that I was really stiff. Not that I'm like, I'm not like first team, all dad bod by any stretch of the imagination. Like, you know, there's guys that are 5,000 times better shape than I am, but I found that I was stiff. You're doing great. You're, you're always enough, Ricky. Don't tell me if I'm doing great. I'll be the one to judge myself. <laughs> um, Fine. You know, 
I was stiff. Like I couldn't turn my head and, and, you know, Michelle has her issues. And I was like, well, we found a studio that happened to kind of incorporate yoga into the workout. Um, and then obviously they have yoga classes and then taking, um, the, the yoga classes offered there and, uh, meeting you and the other instructors. That's really when, when yoga has really, um, kind of been a driving force, uh, throughout the pandemic. And it's funny, you touched on earlier that you have to like sit in poses longer with yourself. When we first, uh, when I, I'm not going to talk about my wife, it's not fair to her, but when I first would take yoga and we would get to the corpse pose at the end. Yes. Um, Everybody, which I'm not saying for, thank you. Cause I still call it shawarma and <laughs> one day I'll get it right. But you know, thank God I'm pretty. <laughs> um, I would still stretch throughout the whole time because I'm like, I can't sit here still. This is this is like what a psychopath does. Who sits here still? You know, I'm still like bending my legs. It's like just mean, forceful, like trying to stretch, right? Like I'm going to get my leg to go that far. <laughs> instead of resting. Of stuff. You're doing the exact yeah, opposite of, of just, resting. Forcing yep, instead yeah, of I'm, flowing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that took a couple months. And then one day, like, uh, it just clicked, you know, uh, it took a pandemic. It took where we're at. It took, um, you know, the, the, this past year. Uh, so and what you don't want to tell someone that's trying to change, Hey, it takes 22 years before you figure your shit out, but it really does. Like, it's such a journey. Like, yes. Yeah. You have to just like, once you're tired of whatever, Whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's mm -hmm. relationships or yourself or just whatever, whatever shit you have going on in your life. Like for me, once I got tired of it, it was, it was just fucking done. Yeah. You, when you're and slowly, you know, it, it, it's a journey, which was part of me always focused on the destination for so many years. And I would miss it in a lot of ways or miss all this other cool peripheral shit because mm -hmm. I'm just you know, tunnel vision on whatever the hell is on my brain. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you brought up the point of you're not, it's, it's the journey and it's the slow building because where you're at today or tomorrow isn't mm -hmm. where you're going to be at in six or seven months, a year or five years, if you choose to continue to show up with it. So what you yep. see right now isn't going to be the end result, but we can't also get so focused on the end result that then we forget to enjoy the process and the moments and the stuff that's in the right here and the right now. So it's that balance of trusting. I know where I'm going and I also can relax to be present in the moment and trust that with the steps that I'm doing and that the self-awareness that I'm slowly, gradually building, I'm going to get to that future vision, but I'm just going to be right here and right now. And that's definitely a learned practice to be able to have the self-awareness, first of all, to recognize, oh, this is what I'm feeling. Oh, I don't have to feel that way. It's okay for me to just relax and be here right now um, and to, to trust because especially when we've grown up in environments where maybe we couldn't trust the environment. Mm -hmm. And how hard then it's, it's becomes a, well, I'm going to force that this outcome hap is going to happen because I don't trust that it will. So we're rewiring yes. that whole entire nature and the rewiring takes practice and it takes the consistency. And so you have to keep showing up 
Um, because yes. rewiring takes time. You're changing neural pathways that have been there for so long. And it's just, your brain is so used to those grooves. It's like a railroad track. Joe Dispenza talks a lot about that, where you have to give yourself time and slow down to rewire that, that process. So I love that yep. you thought. It's, it's a, yeah, it's such a slow burn and, mm-hmm. you know, wherever I was at, wherever, like how bad it got, like how off the rails crazy it was, it's always gotten better. Yeah. Right. And it may not be perfect and it may not be the best and it may not be whatever it is, but I've never not had it turn better. You just have to just keep kind of, this is where the, like that tunnel vision for me helps out, right? Like I just keep going forward. Yeah. yeah with the, there um, is, And maybe not focused on the destination, but just focus forward. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard when you're in whatever addiction you're in, right? Yeah. Like whatever, because there's no way out. It always seems like there's no way out. But I, I think, you know, I think people need to give themselves a little bit more credit and just pause and hopefully pick up good habits, right? And change what you can right now. What can I change just right now? Yeah. Once you get to that that point of pain and you realize, like, some, you don't want to get to the point... To, it's good to realize there's a lot of things to change, but then that can be overwhelm. So you can easily get stuck in the overwhelm too, right? And then that leads you to, to being frozen and not doing anything. So it's taking it back to that step of, okay, I'm in pain. I'm, I want to change. What can I do right now? I'm ready to change. What can I, what's the one thing that I can do right now? And then just keep, keep going there. Now I did want to backtrack a little bit with sure. so you changed the the walking six to walking six years ago did that yes. how did that start to lead into then changing like eating habits um, and other making other healthier habits did you see that start to spin off into other areas we've always ate like we're, we are go out to eat and have fun kind of people so there's always been that but like when we go out to eat, we try to eat at better restaurants. And I don't mean like necessarily more expensive, but like not chain microwave stuff. Right. Yeah. So we've always been fairly, I would say health conscious, but you're right. The more I was working out, the more I realized like, well, I don't really need to have a half a pint of ice cream every night. Cause it's kind of, it's not, one's not helping the other one. Right. Like if I have ice cream, I'm going to get up and forget about the weight. Like I'm like bloated or I don't feel good in the morning or whatever it is. But if I, that's an every night thing, right? So if I stop having that every night and I just have it on occasion, it's not really affecting me working out and it doesn't give me, you know, low energy. So it's, it's everything in moderation of, you know, the, the running theme of my life, including moderation, right? Like I can't beat myself up. Like the other night we had friends over the house. I had pie because that's what they brought for dessert. And then they left and I had ice cream like a child because that's what I wanted. But I don't beat myself up over it. I don't work out extra the next day. I just, that's eh, just what I ate and just keep on keeping on. Right. But you're, you're right. You do tend to start because I think for us, or at least for myself, we work out or I work out so hard that I almost feel that like if I go out and eat shitty, it better be really good because I have to work really hard to burn this fucking milkshake off. 
Yeah. <laughs> so it better be delicious. I don't want something from McDonald's, right? Yes. And well, I used to, I know my mindset for me before used to be, I want to be able to eat anything anytime I want. So that's Mm -hmm. why I would work out hard. Like that was the motivation for, for me to go into CrossFit workouts or orange theory type workouts, because I liked being able to eat whatever, whatever I want. Yeah. And then there, there is a balance. So then it's, it's kind of the more you go along with the journey, at least from what like I've seen from my own personal journey, because I've been doing fitness for since I was 10 and I was blessed to always eat healthy, but then you start to know your body and, or it's also like the pros and cons. Well, and seeing things in reality, well, I'm going to eat this and I know the risks, the pros and cons. Am I willing to pay those prices? Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. I am. And as long as it's not going into those extremes, Again, yes. right? You might enjoy a milkshake twice a week, but you're not enjoying a milkshake every night. So then it becomes yes. kind of the accountability of of holding ourselves in that place of balance and recognizing when we're not. So it's easier to do that with with all the other habits because it keeps you in that clear headspace where you can see reality a lot clearer. Yes. Than- yeah, and in a lot of ways, the pandemic helped us. I mean, okay. I hate to even verbalize it because it's like, I don't like putting that shit out in the universe, but like it, everything closed. And two sides to a coin. We were forced to stay home, right? So we could either stay home and woe is me, or we could just go on a walk and make the best of it. Yeah. Right? Like that. I'm not a teacher. My wife's not a teacher. And we're trying to teach this kid part-time and we're working and it, it, it sucks. I feel bad for him, but like we made the best of it, right? Well, that meant we're going on more walks and I'm eating less ice cream because places is closed. Yeah. And I love that you got, you chose your thoughts and feelings and how you were going to choose about it. You didn't let the external dictate you. And that's how you own your own power is that you decide your thoughts and feelings about it. And you don't let the external dictate it. And that puts you back in control of what you can control. So that, so that we're not trying to create chaos and, and control what we can't control outside of ourselves. It's your, your true source of power is what you choose to think and feel. It's all internal. Yes. hundred percent. I love that. All right. Well, Ricky, I really enjoyed having you on the podcast today. Uh, I think we covered a lot of information, a lot of details. Thank you for being so open and, and sharing your journey And I think that there's a lot of good tidbits in there for people who are searching for answers and um, want help and want to change their lives. I do want to ask you if you want to leave um, listeners with any last little tidbits or advice on anyone struggling with addiction and or trying to change their lives and or owning responsibility for their, their shit. Ask for help. Just ask, especially today. I mean, online. There's so much stuff. You can go to meetings online. You can seek help online. You can call. Like you don't have to leave your house. Just you know, call a friend. If you don't have a friend, call somebody. People are out there. They're willing to help. You know, not everything is a a ninety thousand dollar a month rehab, right? Like you can go and get free help. It's out there. Like I went to a meeting and go to rehab. Yeah. You know, it, it so just just like- ask people. People, there are genuinely, you know, unplug the TV for a while. You know, don't get into that toxic behavior that the, you know, 
the 24 hour news cycle kind of stuff that, that we're so used to and just, you know, reach out for help. Like people will help. Yeah. I love that. That that reminds us community support and be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. You have to step out of your, your, your denial. You gotta be honest, be honest with yourself. You know, I have no problem telling people uh, about my story because when I was a piece of shit and cracking up cars and acting like a maniac, they knew. So they should certainly know when I'm somewhat of a human being on the planet, right? Like, yeah, you've done, you've, You've done a great job. I think you need to give yourself uh, more credit, Ricky. With well, let's not start that. You've done. <laughs> That's a different podcast. <laughs> It'll be our counseling That's part session. two. Yeah, that's part two. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you so much again, Ricky. I appreciate your time. My and pleasure. thank you. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. And we will see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the House of Minds. Cheers to mind expansion and until next time.